Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. So there is a little offer that I have on my website, forcefreegundog.com at the moment. It's 30% off. And I realized that it had expired and I hadn't told anybody on the podcast about it. I have put it out on social media and I sent out a newsletter to everyone who signed up on the website to get the newsletter, but I haven't put it in the podcast. So I've extended it another week because it's not fair if anyone listening can't take advantage of that just because I've been really slow releasing this podcast episode. So using the code February Blues, that's all one word on my website will get you 30% off your choice of course. And that is going to run for a week now. So I've extended it by a week to the 14th of February. So go check out my website, forcefreegundog.com and have a look at the courses there. See if anything takes your fancy. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Prevention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. I hope you're doing well, everybody, because February is a bit of a rubbish month, isn't it? I always think the weather is really rubbish and it's not really spring yet and it's just all a bit gray and wet well actually it depends where you are in the world i guess february elsewhere might actually be a beautiful month of the year but for me that is what february is but i do have quite an exciting trip coming up in a few weeks at the end of february we are going to be taking ren and rosh up to the north of england to do some training and some spring pointing tests it's quite a it's going to be quite a packed week. Well, I think we're away sort of nine days and we've got two days training. And I think hopefully if we get a run, we've got three spring pointing tests, at least for Rosh, because Rosh is still going to fall into the junior category because she's not two years at the start of the year. So hopefully she'll get a run. She'll have priority as a junior dog. Keep fingers crossed. And I've actually no idea what's going to happen, to be honest, because Rosh has never been on a moor. She's never experienced a sort of vast expanse of never-ending land. She has never met any grouse before. So we don't have grouse where we live. So this is a completely new bird for her. So I've absolutely no idea what's going to happen. And I'm just seeing it as giving her experience, really. So I think even with the spring pointing test, for me, they're just giving her experience. That's that's what it's all about. So, and Ren is just coming along for the ride, really. As we're going with Rosh, we may as well take Ren and she may as well do some stuff if she can. So that's that's kind of how I'm looking at it. And then we've got a couple of days training as well. So it's going to be very intense because it's a bit of a drive. And I think it involves about four moves in and out of accommodation over the time that we're there because we're moving around for the tests. And... It's just a bit exhausting. It also involves a, a ferry from where we live to 
mainland and back again. On the way there, that's an overnight ferry. And on the way back, that's going to be a ferry throughout the day. And I'm not a good sailor. I throw up and it's just not going to be very nice. So yeah, it's it's just a lot. Keep your fingers crossed, everyone. I'm also actually at the moment suffering from something called iron deficiency, which I can say quite a lot about iron deficiency, actually. It's absolutely nothing to do with gun dogs. But I have ended up inadvertently becoming an expert on this because I've been suffering from it for a long time since, I think, May last year. And because the iron deficiency is in my brain, it means I'm awake most of the night. So I'm actually now suffering from chronic insomnia and I've been referred for IV iron. And in all of this, I am doing this ridiculous trip to the north of England with our dogs. So I am just trying to get an iron infusion at the moment in the next two weeks with the hope that that is going to give me the strength to walk around grouse moors for six hours a day or something for many consecutive days. So let's just see how this goes. It can be quite interesting. Um, and you can follow me on social media to see how it goes. So find me on Instagram or Facebook under force free gun dog and you'll be able to see pictures of our trips and maybe pictures of me lying on a grouse moor on my back or something because I just can't go on anymore or maybe even pictures of Adam carrying me I don't know you might see lots of interesting things like that so yeah come come and check out our trip on social media um we're going at the end of February um it's going to be stressful and yeah I actually just hope we go at the moment and that I just you know can make it make it through all right so let's talk about more useful things pertaining to gun dogs Hold the line. Well, I have had a question from someone here who asks me, Joe, what do you think about vibrating collars? Not e-collars, but collars that vibrate around dog's neck. Are these force-free? Is this acceptable? Is this useful? Um, And what do I think about that? So let's talk about that a little bit. So the first thing I want to say is let's try and separate in our minds the idea of a collar that vibrates from the idea of a collar that is an e-collar, which you know uses electrical stimulation to administer an aversive. So there is a definite possibility that a vibrating collar is not an aversive. You can put it on your own arm and you can you can press the button and you can just feel this thing vibrating in your hand. You would not consider that to be an aversive. So there is a good chance that this can be experienced by the dog as not aversive. So Unlike something that administers pain, <laughs> this is something that potentially is not an aversive. Now, you could have a dog that experiences it as scary or as unexpected or as um, just not liking it in that particular place around their neck. So there, there, is a, there is a good chance that a dog could experience this as an aversive. So if you're going to use it, you're going to make sure, you've got to make sure that your dog is not experiencing it as an aversive. But that goes for everything, really. There's probably many other things in the world that the dog could experience as aversive, which you just have to watch the dog, don't you? You have to look at the dog, you have to look at the reaction, you have to see, is your dog experiencing this thing as an aversive? And there's a way that you can introduce things that the dog doesn't experience them as aversive. So, you know, we can talk about harnesses in this in this way. Some dogs really hate wearing a harness. And when you get the harness out, they run away and they hide and they don't want to have the harness put on. Other dogs have absolutely no problem with the harness being put on and they just come over willingly when they see it appear, because usually it means that it's time to go out somewhere. So I think the vibrating collar, there's an argument to be made that the vibrating collar falls into that category because it's not necessarily an aversive. And you can hold it in your hand and feel it shaking away there. And there's nothing aversive about it whatsoever, necessarily in itself. So 
It's got to be about the way that we introduce it and what we pair it with and what it means for the dog. So let's assume that we have introduced our vibrating collar in a way that is not aversive, gradually introduce the dog to it, let the dog experience it, maybe taught the dog to target it with some part of their body while it's vibrating so the dog's getting used to the sense of something moving. Um, You know, we've really made sure that it doesn't mean anything nasty to the dog. And when we have put it on the dog, we have vibrated it and then given the dog a treat. So there is a way that you could use the vibrating collar in that way so that it's not an aversive and that it does mean, for example, a recall to the dog. So I think from from dogs that don't stray very far, like spaniels, we would hope, because there are some spaniels that do travel quite far, although they shouldn't. But um, hopefully spaniels or, you know, retrievers who are not bred to quarter or hunt hundreds of meters either side of you. Those dogs probably don't need something like this because you've got a whistle, so you can call the dog back with a whistle. But I do think there are some really hard hunting dogs who really roam really far. And sometimes when you're out and the wind is strong and the rain is lashing in your face and you blow your recall whistle, you're just really sceptical as to whether the dog can hear this from that far away. And I think that is a that is a time where the vibrating collar could be useful. So that's what I would say on the whole subject of vibrating collars. But if you're going to use them, make sure that you introduce them in a way that they are not an aversive to the dog. Watch your dog very, very closely and see how they react to them. And I think the other thing to say is that the they kind of have been associated with e-collars just because it's often a um, a part of the e-collar, isn't it? The whole um, vibrating aspect of things. So they've kind of been associated because it's often built in as a function of an e-collar. So for that reason, I think in our minds as force-free trainers, non-aversive trainers, positive reinforcement trainers, whatever you want to call us, they have become associated with e-collars for that reason. And it's it might be very hard for us to separate these functions but we need to we need to be using every tool that we can and every tool that is potentially useful to us which is not aversive we don't want to you know throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing so if the vibrate function can be used in a force-free way and is useful in training your dog then by all means i think we should be considering it i don't think we should just be dismissing it bundling it in with e-collars and not thinking about it anymore so that's what I'd say on that one. Hold the line. So the next question is, Joe, what do you think about the conversations that are happening at the moment on social media about the use of aversives and aversive training? Okay, folks, it's time for a whistle pause. A whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor. But I don't have a sponsor, so instead I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. Now the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me. And apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. 
And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's Whistle Pause. Let's get back to the show. So that is a very complicated question that involves lots of human psychology as much as anything else, as much as dog training and and sort of facts and stuff like that. So I guess what I try to do is promote force-free training in the way that I would like to train and to give to provide people with ideas for training gun dogs using force-free methods. So I find that if you were to equip someone with two ways of doing things and both ways are equally effective and one way uses lots of enjoyable things and the other way uses aversives, clearly I think 99.9% of people who are not sadists would probably choose would probably choose to use the treats and the nice stuff so in my view what we have to do is show people that this works and that this is at least equally effective as the use of aversives or can be so so that's my approach is just to promote and that's kind of a positive approach so rather than criticizing and judging people who use aversives which however much people try to say that we're not criticizing we're not judging i think that it just often becomes that. It's very hard for it not to become that because it's so polarized. So I try to just promote what I think we should be doing instead and and to do that in a kind of positive way. And I also find that people who have already committed themselves to training in a force-free way don't necessarily want to be constantly reminded that there's this other world where people do stuff very differently, which inflicts pain and fear in the dog. So they would rather exist in a world where they don't have to be confronted with that every second and a, a world where people treat dogs with respect and kindness and you know ethical training world so i tend to find that that create giving that space to those people is beneficial as well particularly in the gundog world because in the gundog world sadly it's very much not that force free training if we call it that is is the mainstream yet so very much People need that space. They need a protected space where they can only be force-free, as it were, and share ideas about force-free training and promote force-free training. And it kind of does need, at the stage of development where we're at in gundog work, I think it does need that. And maybe in the future, when the force-free side of things has evolved and that is the norm, then we can have these, these bigger discussions and you know integrate things more with people who use other methods and that kind of stuff but having said that having said that i'm now thinking more about this question because i do take a lot from people who trainers who use aversives i don't take the aversive side of things but i work out a way to achieve the same thing that they're achieving using positive reinforcement so for example you could look at American retriever training drills, which I find incredibly useful. I just don't run them with e-collars if the dog does the wrong thing. I work out a way to split things and build up and train the exact same skills using positive reinforcement. But the idea, the drill, the concept which the dog is learning is something that I've taken from people who use aversive. So I've taken that concept and if I completely blocked that whole world out of my awareness because I didn't want to know about it, I wouldn't have that. And 
I think that if we do that, that's a detriment to force-free training because we will be reinventing the wheel, as it were. We will be at a disadvantage because we'll be starting from scratch in developing these concepts that the dog needs to learn as much as everything else, as much as how to train them. So let's take what we can take from other places, but that doesn't mean that we need to be constantly having these arguments about whether to use aversives or not to use aversives or whether aversives really inflict pain or whether they're just a little tickle or... I don't know, all of these arguments, they just go, they're the same arguments. I've been around in the dog training world for a long time. And these are the same arguments. And frankly, I'm a little bit bored of them now, guys. I'm a little bit bored of the same arguments just going round and around. So I just ignore them now. I guess maybe I engaged with them way back when they were fresh and new. And I was kind of trying to sort of work these out for myself. But now I'm just a bit like, well, this is just the same thing. And this is just the same thing. And this is just the same thing. So that's that's a thought that I have about that. I'm not sure if this is adding up to anything, by the way. This is just my rambling um, on the subject. So hopefully hopefully, some of this is making sense. I think social media encourages us to pick fights and reinforces us for picking fights. And I don't think that's helpful or productive. Hold the line. All right. So next question. Emily wants to know, how do I get my dog to pick up cold game? She can retrieve dummies fine, but is very unsure of cold game. So um, what should we say about that? So basically, there are various different approaches to this. You can take the sort of purest clicker retrieve approach. You can take the I'm going to play with this thing and make it really fun approach. And there is one of these things where there's kind of no absolute hard and fast answer. You've got to look at the dog you're working with and look at how they're reacting to what you're trying and judge whether whether they need you to adjust what you're doing. So the first thing that I would say, though, is to make the cold game thing a little easier, you definitely want to strap the wings of the bird in tight. Some people put the bird in stockings or socks, which you can do. You can try that. Some dogs, I find, because they can smell the bird inside, putting it in a sock or stocking doesn't really help because they just want to smell the entrance to the the sock or stocking instead. And they end up just standing there sniffing all the time instead of interacting with the bird and so I guess it depends you can try it with the stockings or the socks it's definitely a good place to start but whether you do or don't use stockings or socks you definitely want to use for example elastic bands or something to band the bird's wings in and the reason for that is just the wings I think the dog just doesn't understand how a bird fits together at first so they don't understand that there are these two flappy things that come out the side which are the wings so there's this long if you're talking about a pheasant for example there's a long tail that comes out the end and then there's this floppy thing on the other end so basically if the dog's only experienced dummies before this is a very weird thing that you're asking them to pick up so we need to kind of give the dog a solid substantial thing they can put in their mouth which you know has kind of got the feel of of a dummy in some way to them so so that's why i suggest strapping the wings in and Okay, so let's talk through your different options here. So you've got the click retrieve option. You could, once you've prepped your bird, put it on the floor, click the dog for interacting with the bird. If the dog doesn't disengage at the click because they're really fascinated by the bird and they keep smelling the bird and interacting with it, as you would do if you were using a dummy or whatever, you would put your treat on the dog's nose, lure the dog away from the bird, throw the treat away so the dog's going to run and eat the treat, and then they're going to come back for another rep. So you'll know that you're making progress when the dog is able to break off from interacting with the bird at the click and turn to you for the treat because that means that your reinforcers are starting to become more interesting to the dog than the bird is because the difficulty at first when you produce the bird is that it's novelty it's game scent 
it's just general birdness is going to, scent yeah i've said that already is going to become more interesting to the dog and more reinforcing to the dog than your reinforcers are so that means the dog is going to be more into the bird than into working operantly with you so you need to get the dog into working operantly with you in order to be able to do the click and retrieve with the bird so to do that you may need to increase the tastiness of the treats that you're using if you put the treat on the dog's nose to lure the dog away after you've clicked and they don't, they're unable to show any interest in your treat and be lured away, then you definitely need to increase the tastiness of the treats. You may even need to be using like recall level treats here, like sardines or pate and that kind of thing. And you won't always have to use sardines or pate, obviously, but just right now, because it's so novel, you, you might. And as the dog gets more experience, you'll be able to return to using regular treats until retrieving game is just kind of all in a day's work for the dog. So as the clicker retrieve purist approach and if by the way you are using something like pate and you're clicking the dog isn't disengaging you're putting the pate on the dog's nose to lure the dog away what i suggest is that you just kind of walk away with the dog licking your i don't know teaspoon or whatever to a certain distance where you would usually have rolled the treat to and then just splat the pate or whatever it is on the floor and let the dog then eat it there so because you can't throw it it's not very easy to throw pate i suggest you just kind of do that instead it's not ideal but it's not a problem either and the other suggestion is sometimes um, some people cut up a tripe stick or use something chewy because that gives you more time in between each rep. So if you've got a dog who is just really aroused by the game and they're really into the game and they need a bit more of a break in between each rep, it's all just getting a bit too frantic or, you know, high high energy kind of a thing then the the chew the kind of chunk of a chew for the dog to go and eat in between just kind of slows them down and chewing calms them down before the next rep so i find that that helps as well so let's assume that you have whoops tried that out and it's not really making any progress and your dog is i mean what usually happens when this happens is one of several things the dog is i don't know plucking the feathers out of the bird or the dog is just smelling the bird and is really engrossed in the in the bird as in just somebody's trying to sniff its vent trying to just smell its face just trying to work out what the heck this thing is that they've never seen before so if the click retrieve and those suggestions that i just went through there aren't working then the next thing that you can do is try and animate the bird now this can backfire so let's just talk about that a little bit so if you animate the bird you pick it up or you, you kind of move it along the ground, drag it along the ground to make it look alive, or you pick it up and you kind of use it like a, I don't want to say like a tuggy toy, but use it like a, like a, ooh, what's this thing I've got here? What's this thing? And then maybe throw it a couple of meters away and just make it, you know, come to life a little bit, just to inspire the dog to think about putting their mouth around it. So this is something that you can do. It can backfire. It's not a bad thing to try, but you may need to know when to stop trying it because if the dog responds in certain ways, it's not going to be very helpful. So if the dog reacts to that, either by being spooky, because you've suddenly made the bird a live thing, so it's suddenly become a bit scary to the dog, that may not be a good thing because birds, some some sensitive dogs can be a bit scared of birds at first. Um, and, you know, that's important for, for, for the dog's first warm retrieves to be on dead, dead game and not on a bird, which is likely to be a runner or be a bit feisty because it might scare the dog. So if you've got a sensitive dog, you may not want to animate the bird too much because the dog may get a bit scared by that and you don't want to scare the dog around game. It's not the idea. Um, equally, the dog may get really excited, really pumped, really highly aroused. And that may lead to things like feather plucking or 
repeated mouthing or you know that kind of thing so so you can try the animation thing because it does sometimes result in the dog picking the bird up so you just need to know when that is not an avenue to pursue anymore if you see any signs of you know excessive arousal leading towards behaviors that you don't like then you need to kind of intervene a little bit throw some treats away pick up the bird and have a rethink the the other thing you can do is um put the bird like in your in your game pouch or something do a couple of retrieves using a dummy so you would sit the dog up throw a dummy out so if you've got a, a feather dummy which the dog is used to already you can throw that out do a couple of retrieves with that and then use exactly the same scenario sit the dog up take the bird out throw the bird so everything is the same in the picture apart from we're now we've now we're now using the bird instead of the dummy which the dog is familiar with sometimes keeping the pattern exactly the same of what you're doing but just putting the bird in there sometimes that helps the dog as well um i have i do have a funny example i think i've mentioned it before in a previous podcast of my slovakian roughhead pointer gray from he's now he's now long departed but um gray <laughs> when we tried to introduce her to game she did not want to pick up the game at all on land for some bizarre reason and when it was right in front of her we were just trying to get her to just pick it up in this really you know we made it really easy for her to pick up it was right under her nose and we were doing all we could to encourage her to pick it up we tried the click of retrieve tried shaping nothing worked eventually we gave up we picked the bird up and we just decided we're gonna have to throw it really far away for the foxes to get and we slung the bird into this marsh and gray launched herself into the marsh and swam around and got it and picked it up and brought it back so I don't know whether it was the water. I don't know whether it was the idea of making this really difficult. So it had to be something that she had to just fight through to go and get it, which just for some reason inspired her. I have no idea what it was really about the scenario. It was something to do with some of those things. But you can, you can experiment with that as an idea. Um, so, and sometimes watching another dog retrieve. And if your dog has sort of got any, I want that thing that you have qualities, Watching a dog that can already retrieve game and then get your dog to retrieve the game can sometimes make it a desirable thing as well. I think, you know, there's a lot of controversy over whether dogs can learn from imitation, but there are some studies that show that they can learn from imitation. And there is the whole sort of do as I do um, thing going on. So yeah, for sure. Try that. See if that works. These are just ideas to kind of cycle through and see what works for your particular dog. The other thing to say is that you need to make sure that when you did the clicker retrieve in the first place, that you did it with a range of different items and objects you want to have just done it with a dummy because your dog will not have generalized it then so make sure you really did generalize it and sometimes the other thing to say is that it just takes a number of birds so i remember with our first dog slate who was a vimarana that it did take a lot of birds we had to get a lot of birds it was something about she had to learn how she had to learn the similarities between birds before she could kind of go, oh, this is this is that thing. This falls into that category. And she could kind of categorize it and understand it properly. So it's almost like she needed, I don't know how many it was, 10 or 15 birds or something before she understood the concept of a bird and began to be able to just retrieve it as, you know, just without even thinking about it, just like she would a dummy, for example. So, so don't expect to be able to make perfect progress with your dog's first experience of a bird ever. Um, and in terms of the feather plucking, if you get that, that's definitely a sign you want to put a sock around the bird because it tends to stop the feather plucking thing from happening because the dog does not have direct access to the feathers to be able to pluck them and kind of work on getting the retrieve functioning in that way before you then, for example, you can move from a sock to a stocking, which is less thick so the dogs can smell the feathers more. You could then kind of poke a feather or two through the stocking and you could just do this quite gradually. So 
um, you just avoid that whole scenario, really. It just doesn't become established. Not all dogs need that. But if you've got a dog who's prone to the whole feather plucking thing, then you probably want to try it. So I hope that's given you some ideas. That, by, by the way, is that, that's no way a, an exhaustive list. That's just the things that come to, come to mind as I think about this right now. Hold the line. That's all for this week, everyone. So just remember, with the code February Blues, you can go to my site, forcefreegundog.com, and you can get a 30% discount on any of the courses that are available there, and that expires on the 14th of February. So I will say goodbye for now, and follow me on social media to see what happens with this ridiculous trip we have planned. That's actually if I have enough time and brain availability to be able to post anything. Ding 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 